Father, we do thank you for this day of rest, this, this day where we can come apart and come into your holy place, to come into our bridegroom's chamber, to be at one and be at peace and hear his word and be encouraged and strengthened. Use us in this next 30 minutes to that end, as well as in our worship and our whole use of the whole day. In Christ's name, amen. And we are continuing uh, looking at Dietrich Bonhoeffer's uh, classic work, The Cost of Discipleship. And I'm wanting to do this again. The the reason that I'm uh, going through this is because I think that Bonhoeffer has a lot positive, has, has a lot of material that is very positive to teach us. In this chapter, you'll begin to see where we part ways with Bonhoeffer a little bit, and neo-orthodoxy in general. And and you'll start to see, I've, I've said from the very outset of this study, I don't feel comfortable with where Bonhoeffer ended up. Where he ended up was a conviction that his Christian duty as a pastor was to assassinate the elected head of government of Germany. Uh, he His duty as a Christian pastor was to assassinate Hitler, and the reason that his duty was to assassinate Hitler was because the very essence of discipleship following after Christ is to care for the oppressed, and the oppressed in Germany were the Jewish people. And so Bonhoeffer believed that part of following after Jesus Christ was being committed to his mission and thus it led him to being involved in an assassination plot and ultimately being executed for it. I don't, I don't have any, I'm not saying Bonhoeffer was wrong. That's, that's a fairly good question. Who are we as Christians to doubt what God is calling somebody else to do? And actually Bonhoeffer makes that point. Well, Bonhoeffer makes that point in this chapter. He says, what will discipleship look like? He says, first commit. First commit, and then you'll find out. Uh, but uh, at any rate, to, to, to get back, I want to draw some of the strengths out of Bonhoeffer. I want to draw some of, the, some of the positives out of this material while recognizing that there are some flaws uh, in the material. And I think one of his flaws and it comes out mostly in this chapter, but it's developed the rest of the way, is the issue of universal atonement versus limited atonement. Did Jesus Christ die for everybody's sins universally? Or did Jesus Christ die for his sheep, those whom he would call? And if we say he died for everybody universally then it means that everybody universally is my brother, is my sister. There is no distinction. And, and so that's where I think we start getting into some, some terrain that, I'm not, uh, that I don't think Scripture calls us to go into. But it, I want to emphasize, again, I want to emphasize what I believe is profitable, what is good out of this work. And so we're going to look at the... Uh, his, his third chapter, which is entitled 
single-minded obedience. So could someone read for me Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Matthew 14, 22 to 33. It's a passage you know very well. Chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. So, last week we looked at, uh, it was chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. And it's uh, when Jesus is walking on the water and they think that it's a ghost and Peter says, Lord, command me to come to you. And so Jesus says, come, and Peter steps out of the boat and begins to walk on the water. In both the case that we looked at last week, was which was Mark chapter 4, and the case of Jesus' call to Levi. Levi is the tax collector. Jesus simply says, follow me. And Levi leaves everything, gets up and follows. Here, in Peter's case, the command is simply come. At the essence of discipleship, and I think this is where Bonhoeffer is is drawing our attention to a, to a really important point. Discipleship is not complicated. It's just too hard. It costs too much. It's not complicated what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Christ is very clear in what it means to be his follower. If anyone loves mother, father, sister, brother, husband, wife, anything before me, then he is not worthy to be my disciple. Uh, the, the call to discipleship is a call to absolute, single-minded obedience. And in drawing these two examples, both Levi and Matthew together, as well as the other calls, we looked at the other one in, 
in uh, Luke's gospel where three people come to him, three would-be disciples. A rich young man, a man who says, I want to fulfill my proper obligations first, and another one who wants to dictate his terms of discipleship. These three disciple rejects. In pulling all these things together, we simply see that in the scripture, nothing, nothing, not family, not reputation, not social standing, and Matthew chapter 14, not even the laws of physics <laughs> can stand between the disciple and his master. And the, 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 the difficulty of discipleship today is exactly what the difficulty of discipleship was in Jesus' day, and I would say all the way back to Adam and Eve. <laughs> the difficulty of discipleship has always been that we want to qualify it, that we want to say, be reasonable. Let's not go too far. Uh, I remember some time ago, someone said to me that they were happy that I was in love with my wife and going to marry her because she had taken this Christianity thing just a little too far and I was going to keep her grounded. Little did they know. <laughs> I was going to drag her off to East Africa. <laughs> but there is kind of that sense of, okay, let's be reasonable. Let's not take this too far. Uh, you know, let, let's, let's be reasonable in our understanding of Christ's commands of us. Uh, Christ is not going to command you to violate the laws of physics. Well, he might. <laughs> Christ is not going to command you to lose your social standing. Eh, he probably will. Uh, Christ is not going to command you. The, the suffering that we are called to is something that God wants to alleviate. He wants to make your life easier. He wants to make your life joyful. He wants to make your life more pleasant. Eh, Jesus says, unless you're willing to die, you can have no part of me. The, the call to discipleship is a call to absolute obedience single-minded obedience, no qualifications. And Bonhoeffer goes on to point out ways in which we qualify, uh, ways in which we spiritualize some of the great demands of discipleship. So that if God says, you must leave all to follow me, we rationalize it as well. We must have a certain emotional detachment to things. Uh, in order to follow him. It means simply, you know, in your mind, in your attitude towards other, other things. You know, you can still be acquiring things and pursuing your career and all of that, but have an emotional detachment to it. Don't find your meaning in this. That's what Christ says when he says, leave all to follow me. And the answer is, no, he doesn't. He means literally, <laughs> leave everything and follow me. Take what I give you. Take the gifts I give you. Take the, the, the talents that I give you and give them to me. Give everything to me. And it specifically, Bonhoeffer points out, specifically is realized in two ways. Discipleship is this single-minded obedience. And it specifically calls us to two things. 
the wrong one first. It calls us to forgiveness and it calls us to suffer. Jesus' command to his disciples is take up what? Your cross. Take up your cross and follow me. So what is the cross a symbol of? We love to say, take up your cross and follow me. But what is the cross a symbol of? It's a symbol of death. And it's also the place at which our forgiveness is centered. It's on the cross that sin is paid for. So if you and I, Christ's disciples, are called to take up that cross... We have to understand that in both of its aspects. The cross is a sign of forgiveness, and the cross is a sign of suffering. And so entering into Jesus' ministry, entering into the life of the disciple of Christ, means that you and I are committed to this single-minded forgiveness of those who sin against us. And that's where we start qualifying it, isn't it? <laughs> that's where we start saying, well, can you forgive someone if they haven't asked for forgiveness? That was a, that was a great ethical dilemma that we used to yap about in seminary. Uh, and, and the sad thing about that is, I'll give a, a quick, let me see what my time is. I'll, I'll give a quick, uh, illustration of my point. Yesterday, I was working, serving with some other brothers, examining some men who are coming, uh, seeking to bring the congregation into the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And we were talking about, you know, the examination on the floor of Presbytery. And if you've ever been to a Presbytery, if you've ever seen someone examined on their theology in a, in a OPC or Presbyterian Presbytery, you'll know that one of the things that regularly comes up is how do you keep the Sabbath? And particularly, they'll give case examples. Is it okay to go and participate in organized sports on the Lord's Day? Is it okay to watch the NFL on Sabbath afternoon? Uh, or is should we as ministers, should we as, as uh, officers in the church be... Uh, going to people and saying, listen, I understand you're, you're watching the NFL Sunday afternoons. The Sabbath is a day of worship and rest and you need to stop that. And, and so I don't, you know, it, it's, it's the question. We always ask the questions and, and people always answer the questions. It just struck me really for the first time yesterday how wrong that question is. Because I think if we would back up a step from what can you or I do or not do on the Lord's Day, if we would back up from that question and ask ourselves, what is the Lord's Day? What is the Sabbath day? And fundamentally, the Lord's Day is this day in which the bridegroom invites the bride into the chamber. It's the day when the bridegroom and the bride eat together, fellowship together. When the bride comes together and is refreshed 
as she continues in her wilderness journey. It's the day in which we are strengthened and and commune with God in a special way that we don't do on other days. That's what we all agree that the Sabbath day is, right? So if you had that understanding, can I ask you an honest question? How many of you who are married on your wedding night immediately started looking at your watch and going, how quick can I get out of here and hang out with the boys? I hope nobody did. (laughs) I hope none of you that are married or any of you who anticipate marriage (laughs) on your wedding night after the ceremony is done and you're alone in the hotel room, you don't look at your watch and go, hey, the boys are hanging out for cigars. Do you mind if I dip? That would be bad. That would be stupid. That would be a dumb groom. And same way with the bride. Presumably, you bride, or bride-to-be, are not going into after the wedding day going, oh man, that was so horrible. That was, you know, makeup and dresses and people, and I'm bushed. Let's just watch a movie. Uh, Let's order pizza and watch a movie. Let's chill. Uh, no, the bridal chamber, the th- intimacy and communion and all the beauty that is there, then why are we trying to figure out how to get out of it as easy as we can? Why are we trying to figure out, is it okay for me to watch football but not play football? Why are we trying to figure out, is it okay for me to throw a baseball in the backyard with my child, but not okay for me to go to a baseball game with my child and watch someone else throw it. And that's where we're going to have our big debates. That's where we're going to have our discussions. That's where we're going to have our floor examinations. Rather than simply saying, why would I ever want to get out of this day? (laughs) Why would I ever want to leave this day? This day is precious. This day is joyful. This day is intimate. It's fellowship. It's communion with God. It's it's me gathering with his people. It's me with my family. It's me with with the loved ones around me. Spending time, me reading some books, me doing whatever, listening to music, me spending time in prayer. All the things that I am allowed to do today. That because of my busy schedule, because of all the pressures of the week, because of all the other stuff, I can't do as thoroughly and completely as I'm able to do today. Because we don't see it, (laughs) we mess it up. Because we don't see the joy and the beauty, we mess it up. And in the same way, forgiveness and suffering, I think, because we don't see how critical it is, how essential it is, we end up having our debates over, well, how do I forgive? And the disciples, you know, the disciples come to Jesus and say, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question, guys. (laughs) Seventy times that. Seventy times that. Because at the heart of it, is Jesus Christ's cross is the symbol of your forgiveness. 
It's where you and I are forgiven. And so to participate in that cross, to carry that cross, of the essence of carrying your cross is forgiving as you have been forgiven. And that's where discipleship hits. I'm not worried about whether or not I'm supposed to assassinate Hitler. That's not the big question for me. The question is, how do I react towards the one who has given me offense? How do I react towards the one that says something the wrong way or does something the wrong the wrong way? That's right. When we when we compare ourselves, and that's yeah, that, that's a that's an excellent way. I mean, how can the beggar, how can the one who has received untold riches of mercy, then go and hold anything against his brother? And that's that's one of Christ's par- uh, parables. Uh, is, is how can the one who has been forgiven much now go in turn and, and grab something else? So the more that we are in this personal awareness of our forgiveness, of our being forgiven, the more that we can look to Christ and live out this really hard, I mean, has anybody here ever struggled with forgiving somebody? (laughs) And the cost of discipleship is hard. Discipleship is a hard thing. The second thing, real quickly, well, we've got three or four more minutes, but the second thing at the core of discipleship is... The other aspect of the cross is suffering. Uh, and, and Bonhoeffer says that Luther and the Augsburg Confession emphasize this point. Now remember, Bonhoeffer is Lutheran, uh, and so his stream of theology is very much Luther Augsburg, slash Augsburg Confession. He quotes the Augsburg Confession, and now I don't know the Augsburg Confession as well, so I did look it up. I could not find the quote in the Augsburg Confession, but I'll take Bonhoeffer at his word. He was a Lutheran. He was a minister. I assume that he knows what he's talking about. But Bonhoeffer makes the point. He says, the church is defined by both Luther and the Augsburg Confession as the community of those who are persecuted and martyred for the gospel's sake. That's how essential this is to the definition of what it means to be the church. The church is the community of those who suffer and are martyred for the sake of the gospel. And and so suffering is right there at the very heart of what it means to be the church of God. And the suffering that, you know, the, the way that this suffering looks, the way that this is is articulated, isn't necessarily going to be in me going out and getting beaten up by trans activists. 
I'm not saying that is, you know, if trans activists beat me up, then okay. But I'm not going to say, well, now I'm suffering. I wasn't before. But now I'm really suffering for Jesus. Uh, what we are saying in suffering is that I will always bear that shame. I will always bear that rebuke. I will always stand clinging to Christ and to his word in the face of any opposition. And that opposition may come from my own family. That opposition may come from my social network. That opposition increasingly today, for those of you who are in career uh, corporate stuff, is coming from career slash corporate stuff. Uh, where, where increasingly you're being told that a Judeo-Christian ethic is inherently oppressive and you need to abandon it and, and all that sort of thing. There's, a, there's an element of suffering that is of the essence of the cross. The cross is not a throne. It is an instrument for suffering. And it is as we suffer under the cross that we are united to Christ's suffering under the cross. We partake in his sufferings. This is the language that Paul uses. He, he says, I'm bearing the, the, the marks of the cross in my body that if in some way I may fill up what is lacking. Now, Paul is not saying that Jesus Christ didn't do enough. But what he's saying is, it's of the essence of bearing his cross that I suffer. And so, as I continue to suffer, as I continue to do so for his sake, then I am filling up in my body that union with Christ. What is lacking in me of an appreciation for Christ and for his sufferings. I'm filling that up in my own body as Christ leads me through these things. And so, as, as, we, as we close this, I want to close with a, bon, uh, with, with a comment or quotation. Bonhoeffer says, We do not walk under self-made laws and burdens, but under the yoke of him who knows us and who walks under the yoke with us. Under his yoke, we are certain of his nearness and communion. It is he whom the disciple finds as he lifts up his cross. So it's as you and I are aware of the suffering of Christ, aware of our suffering for Christ, that you and I have some of our most intimate communion with Christ. And I'll give you... Well, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, we are... Over the order of the day. <laughs> We're beyond 10.15. But um, what, what I want to leave you with, and what, where I think Bonhoeffer is, is uh, drawing our attention in this chapter, is when you define discipleship, when you think of what it means to be a disciple, do you think of someone who is extra? You've got Christians, and then you've got disciples. Uh, you've got, you got the people who really are holy. And then there's me. Uh, no, this is what the call is. The call of Jesus Christ is a call to discipleship. You cannot separate his call to salvation from his call to discipleship. And the essence of that discipleship 
is simply single-minded obedience. What he says, I will do. I don't understand it sometimes. I don't like it most of the time. Uh, (laughs) But what he says, I will do. Because I am his disciple. He owns me. And of the, at the heart of what that life looks like, that bearing the cross, are these two things. Forgiveness and suffering. These are the two things that are at the absolute core of you and I being called to take up your cross and follow after him. And so Bonhoeffer draws our attention uh, to this, to this central aspect of it, and uh, I think is very helpful. He, he mentions, just real quickly, and I'll shut up, uh, Galatians chapter 6. He, go, he goes into that passage, uh, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He's saying this bearing of burdens, this is what Christ did on the cross. This is what the cross is, is a burden itself. And so as we bear one another's burdens, we are carrying our cross. And what he doesn't do is he does not go on to emphasize Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, where Paul makes a distinction. He says, therefore do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul recognizes the distinction. He says our, our benevolence should be universal, but there is a special connection that I have to my brother, to my sister in Christ. And, and I think everything that... Everything from of, of the good that Bonhoeffer says, I think if we can take it right into our church dynamics, into our into the way that we live the church together uh, as brothers and sisters, then it's a very positive and strengthening thing. So with that, any thoughts, questions, comments? Or I'll close this in prayer and we can go to our fellowship. Well, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your gracious call to us. Uh, You take people who are rebels, you take people who are your enemies, and you make us your servants. You make us your sons and daughters. You make us your beloved. Uh, And and Lord, the wonder and the mystery of that, we will spend the rest of eternity praising. But Lord, in the here and now, would you help us to always have that in the front of our minds, that you have made rebels to be children, so that we may follow after Christ with heart, soul, and mind. In Christ's name we pray, amen.